June 11, 2021. It's a lot for Pedro show.
For Pedro show, people, you can tell right away. It, I'm not in man alone mode. There's no Skype uh, engineers from Estonia. I got Richard X. Heyman with me. Welcome aboard, Richard. Hey, what's happening? Well, what's happening? You got new music, right? You want to talk about it. But before we get to the new music, well, we did play some, right? We started off the show with John Coltrane doing Lush Life, Billy Strayhorn. Uh, and then uh, Richard X. Heyman, where are you uh, now? Name of the song. <laughs> I didn't mean that as a question. <laughs> Can't copyright a song title, right? Okay, let's let's uh, check out your journey of music, Richard. Can you bring your earliest musical recollection? Well, it goes way, way back now. That's okay. I knew when I was like a little toddler that I should be a drummer. I just knew it. And I don't know why or where they came from, but I just started pestering my parents, get me a drum set, get me a drum set. And slowly but surely, they got me, you know, bongo drums and a timbali even, and all kinds of crazy percussion. And then when I was seven, they got me a full kit. And I sat down and I just started playing. Well, can I ask you, where was this pad you grew up in? This was in uh, New Jersey, in Plainfield, New Jersey. Okay. Central Jersey. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a little California turned the other way on the license plate. <laughs> but, but anyway, in this pad you grew up in, Richard, was there musical instruments? Not really. I had three older sisters that were getting into rock and roll, and so there were a lot of records lying around. All their partying and their boyfriends, you know, there would be just singles and a few albums. Like, uh, I remember discovering the Ike and Tina Turner review. Oh, yeah. And Rocket 88. James Brown, Live at the Apollo. All these records were lying around. Bootsy. Yeah, and I James got into Friends. that as a little kid. And then well, you let, had let, let me all ask the other you this. stuff happening, AM radio. Let me ask you this, because, uh, you know, the drummer man, before the drum set, right, you knew you were into drums. Did you get on the fucking pots and pans? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was hitting anything <laughs> I could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, what about grade school? Were you in the marching band or the choir, I, shit like that's that? That's funny you should mention. Yeah, I was in the marching band. And uh, on the back of my new album, I got a picture of me uh, playing the snare drum. Okay, so you slung that on your Then you know how to do traditional grip. Oh, yeah. Got a good traditional grip. But then I, you know, as soon as I saw Ringo, <laughs> I said, what the hell is he doing? So I, I learned the match grip. But I, I always played uh, both, went back and forth, depending on... I, I even switch in the middle of a song. Yeah, on why not? It's all vocabulary, right? Yeah, there's certain 
times where you just want to go for the match grip so you can really hit the snare hard. But I love guys like Mitch Mitchell, Charlie Watts that use the traditional grip. Sure, sure. It's, it's Ginger Baker. Yeah, yeah. Well, he I, what was he? I think he was mostly match grip. But I'm sure he, he would switch it up. You know, he brought a yeah, lot of jazz. You know, the other guys yeah, were more he, blues, and he brought in the jazz, right? Yeah, he must have played some some traditional group because he's really a jazz guy. Yeah, yeah, and I think Ginger because he had red hair. <laughs> <laughs> now, can I ask you this? First record you bought with your own money, Richard? It's got to be uh, Meet the Beatles. And first gig you went and saw? Wow, the very first gig I ever went to was, believe it or not, Neil Sedaka, the Atlantic City Steel Pier. The band gets shirts. I was a little tyke. You know about this tape? There's an infamous kind of Buddy Rich type where yeah. there's a debriefing after the gig. The band gets shirts. <laughs> I guess somebody came on stage in a T-shirt and he oh, went that's, off. Oh, uh, that's Paul Anka. Oh, that's right. That's right. I slice like a hammer. You won't see it coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Paul yeah, Anka. That okay. and the Buddy okay. Rich tapes. I, I've oh, heard many times. So forgive me, Neil Sedaka. You're not but I'll tell you a real interesting first gig that I went to as far as rock. Because in my hometown, there was a guy named George Clinton. Went to my high school and he started oh, a band. Started the, the Parliaments out of a barbershop. So I saw That's where that name is. When you, said, when you said Plainfield, there's something rang a bell in my mind. And yeah, that's where he did processes and shit and started the band. Yeah, so I... Uh, I saw the Parliaments at this Park Hotel Annex in Plainfield, New Jersey. You know, there was a Plainfield album. T there was a band called this. like oh, yeah? yeah, they were a hardcore band. And what these guys did was, I guess Jella had a solo record and shit. shit and they just copied the exact cover and everything, just put their music on the vinyl. Is <laughs> 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 that fucked up? <laughs> anyway, what about the shit? Well... Let me ask you about the drum and shit. Now, obviously, they were teaching school and stuff. That stuff for the marching and you know right. school stuff. But did you have an outside teacher? You know, I uh, learned a bunch of uh, rudiments on my own. I had started some bad habits already, and I, I had a guy come over, and he was like, you know, just do your own thing because it's too late. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, start, starting in You're junior, a kid and you're already warped. All I right, started yeah. taking a few, you know, music courses, so I, I knew the basics. Well, what about after school? Not like graduating, but in the afternoon, the bedroom band, the basement band, the garage band. Did you do that kind of shit? Oh, of course, yeah. That was the, the evolution, you know. I started out listening to my father's Benny Goodman albums and trying to be Gene Krupa. <laughs> and, you know, and the Beatles thing happened, and all that, and the Stones, and so, yeah, you had to you had to start a band. So I, I had a band going, and I was the drummer, and, and we did all those hits, all the animals, and the. Can, can yard, I ask you where you practice? Was it at your pad? Since you were the drummer man, we did start at my house. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, we never, never, ever practiced in a garage. Was in a we started in a living room. We did a few basements. <laughs> Never a garage, but okay. we were a garage. It's okay. Band. It's okay. It's, they're, they're, they're kind of cousins. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you know, there's probably some hallway bands and fucking porch bands and yeah. <laughs> all kinds of shit. Uh, refrigerator bands. Uh, now you, you said <laughs> something about copying. So, so yeah, because you're yeah, I'm I'm probably a little younger than you, but. Everybody is. <laughs> I was born in 57, so I'm 70s, and no one we knew wrote their own material. We all tried copying songs off the records. Right. You were probably in the same situation. Yeah, we started. The, well, the first thing back then was you had to learn how to play the Ventures stuff. That's all kind of instrumental. Yeah. Do you remember those drum drop records? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, they yeah. wouldn't have the drums on them, so you could play along with the yeah. pictures. Yeah. <laughs> they dropped the drums, right? The drop, right. drums. Yeah. <laughs> it was so like, you started it, with your uh, kind of surf instrumentals, and then when the Stones hit, you started to learn the Stones' first four albums, and you know, everything you could get off of that. Which was a lot of blues songs. A lot of blues. You started to learn hey, this is coming from America. <laughs> you rediscover that. And then you get into Freddie King and all the blues guy and the BB King and Albert King and Magic Sound, all that stuff. And then if you're lucky, you, you start putting a few chords together and you say, hey, I'm going to try to write my own song. Right, right. You know, and that came a little later to me because I was the drummer and then I started. Well, let me ask you about that. Of, is that a fucked up thing? The idea that drummers can't write songs. You know, Chico Hamilton tried to get credit in the '60s, right? Drummers don't write songs. I guess the notes are too short. You no, know, it was it was tough because there's a lot of cross egos going around in bands. You know, like the guitar player doesn't want you messing around with his guitar. And good point. Good you know, point. Why is the drummer picking up my guitar? So you got a lot of that. So eventually, uh, you know, I got a little kind of nylon on string guitar, first guitar, and it took me a long time to get from a G to a C, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's a neck string down, but or up, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so like what you're saying you, is the bands, it's kind of feudalism. Everybody's got their fiefdoms. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like corporate politics, cubicle politics, right? That's why I ended up just doing the, the solo one-man band thing because I figured every band's going to break up. And if I break up with myself, then I'll know I'm in <laughs> Perfect segue to this tune, The Truth. Truthlessness, it's all up inside my 
feel at home anymore. I can't live at home in this world anymore. I don't feel at home in your world anymore.
Show that chunk of music started with Richard X. Heyman with The Truth. Then we had Eviction, something brand new she did with. Uh, she was telling me when she was on the show last month that she came up with this invention where she put uh, phonograph styluses on four of her fingernails. So she can get actually four tri- <laughs> out of one record, scratching on one record, she can get four of trips going. Um, and so that's yeah. This is a little demonstration. It's called uh, well, I don't know. It, I, I named it what the post was. Hashtag sound manicure. Hashtag nails did eviction. And after that, Colin Nancarol. Now this is somebody she turned me on to, who got into experimental player piano pieces. This guy, you know, this is the first programmable shit, right? Yeah. Well, think about it. You know, before pewters, it just scroll with holes in it. Uh, firing off the, the the moves, and study for player piano number twenty one, Canon ten, and then decaf after that with washed clean. Uh, Thor Harris, Rob Halverson, with Bill Callahan doing DDCB zero seven. Sam Lock Ward out of Iowa City was so gone, and then SLWCC Watt, which is me and him doing a collab album last month. Sweet Davy. Buddy of his does sax on it. Bob Bucko Jr., I can't live at home in this world anymore. Bombas Prendon from the D.C. area, Miles Karaoke. This cat's been around 40 years, recorded maybe 6,000 songs, maybe did six gigs, but they're still going. <laughs> and then finally, Richard X. Heyman with Nearly There. Okay, let's pick up. We kind of jumped ahead to the one-man band thing because... Yeah, yeah, let's backtrack. Yeah, yeah. So you guys, you're you're in this band in high school, or what, what, junior high or shit? Yeah, starting in junior high. Can you remember the first gig you did? I do, yeah, yeah. It was at uh, St. Andrew's Church. And it was just like, wow, all these little Catholic girls are digging what we're doing. And that was, that was it. <laughs> Ah, I remember reading somewhere Pete Townsend said that's why he got in the band. <laughs> he said his nose was so big that this was the only way. <laughs> Something <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> and his interviews used to be kind of torture sessions to read anyway, but good old Pete. So so it was a success. Yeah, they seemed to like what we were doing. Right. And, uh, well, what, 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 I mean, having a good first gig, what happens with the band? Well, we just kept at it and uh, kept doing these weekend gigs. And then we started to appear on a TV show out of Newark, New Jersey, called Zachary's Disco Teen, which was like a dance music dance, kind of like American Bandstand. And we won a Battle of the Bands on that show. And And that led to a a record contract with Bell Records, believe it or not. We put a couple singles out. Richard, what was the name of this band? It's called the Doughboys. The Doughboys. You know, there was a in the eighties there was a punk band out of Canada called Doughboys. It kind of sounded yeah, like the I Descendants. Knew. Yeah. Yeah, I, I heard about them because uh, we used to get people confused between the two bands. <laughs> but we're talking way before that. I know, I know, I know. Ain't that a trip? Uh, 
So you win this contest. You get signed to Bell. Do you guys tour? Well, we were too young. We were all in school still. But we did what was called the WMCA Good Guy Shows. WMCA was like the big AM station in New York City along with WABC. And so in exchange for airplay, we would play these weekend shows that they put on called the Good Guy Shows. Mm -hmm. Everybody that was charting at the time, except for the superstars like the Beatles, were on these shows. So you, you got to see everybody, all you name it. So, and by this time, you guys are writing your own tunes, right? Uh, not really. We're still mainly a cover band. Uh, that was kind of the sad thing for me is... Even getting signed? Oh, yeah, because I remember yeah. those days. There'd be lots of, lots of covers, like uh, the animals would do House of the Rising Sun, then right away, Frigid Pete. They wouldn't copy the Lead Belly one. They would copy the animals one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it had the Captain cool. Beefheart with Diddy Wah Diddy. Right. We were too too young, and they just gave us a few songs to record, and we did them. Right after that, I started to write my first songs, but we did, missed that boat. Did you know about the was, uh, Did you know about the box tops? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure we I'm sure we played with them. We, we played with everybody. Any band that had a song in the top forty was on these shows. All the girl groups and the the punk that were you know proto punk kind of garage type bands. Yeah, box tops. They were teenagers, right? Docs yeah, Chilton, those guys. Yeah. Yeah, the I letter. Mean, they had a big hit with the letter. My baby sent me the letter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's with Alex Chilton. Right, right, right. Later on. With yeah, it's funny. He never sang like that again. No, no. Bangkok and stuff like that. You know, when he went on to do... Uh, big Star. Big Star had a whole different voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, he was a boy, right? He was a teenager. So, uh, what happens to the Doughboys? Well, we kept on playing. We uh, put out a second single. And then we became the house band at the Cafe Wa in Greenwich Village in the late 60s. And... Uh, is it that where Jimi Hendrix would play sometimes? Yeah, this is where Jimi Hendrix was a house band. So we played <laughs> the whole summer of of '68 as the house band there, and did that you, was kind of cool. Did you I get met, to meet? I, I actually met Jimi in '68. Yeah. What was he like? At Manny's music, I walked in there. Manny's Forty Eighth Street, Forty Eighth Street. He was in there checking out uh, Les Paul. He was sitting playing a right hand at Les Paul. And standing over his shoulder was Frank Zappa. Whoa. And the, the store was about to close. There was nobody in there except the salesman, Zappa, Hendrix, and me. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like I, my jaws dropped because I'm getting to watch Hendrix try out a guitar. Well, I, 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 I read that Jimmy could play upside down, no problem. Yeah, he had a right-handed guitar. And I asked why... You know, he wanted to play a right-handed guitar. I said, did you ever try to find a left-handed Les Paul? Because, you know, he's mainly known for playing strats. But that day he was playing a Les Paul, and he said, no, I like it. I like the right-handed one better. He says, I like having the knobs on the top. Yeah, he worked them with his fucking palms. Yeah, so that was cool. And I got both their autographs, which I was a kid at that. I was like 14 or 15. So that was a big thrill. 
You know that 48th Street area? It's all gone now. No more music stores. Not one music store Not left. Not one. They all got plowed. There's some down by, what, Chelsea? Like, I think Sam Ass went down by there somewhere in the t- late 20s or 30s streets. Yeah, they're all, they're all scattered around now. Got the, yeah, the, the, because the, people are buying shit online. I mean, you know. Yeah, there's that. That's sad. So you become the house band at, at the Wah Cafe with Jimi Hendrix experience. Wow. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, being the house band, that means you you got to play stuff that everybody knows that's current, the hit of the week or shit? No, it wasn't like that. It, oh, it just okay. did your set. But we were just on the bill every night with different acts that would keep coming through. Okay. That's what the, the house band was just the regular band that played there. It was, I guess, what they call a residency in England. Right. So that, right. that was a good experience. And then it all became too much. I mean, we were living together in the Albert Hotel. And uh, speaking of, uh, you were talking about Pete Townsend earlier. One night, there's a band called the Blues Magoos. Oh, yeah, I remember them. Yeah, and they were living at the Albert Hotel. And one night, Pete Townsend was there. We saw the Who's bus sitting outside the hotel. So we were all trying to get into the room because Pete was giving them a one-man concert on acoustic guitar. (laughs) The magic bus. But they wouldn't they wouldn't let us in. So we all sat out in the hallway, the band and we're on the floor, cockroaches all over us. <laughs> and then they sent us out to the deli to get sandwiches and when we got back we thought this is our ticket in to watch PD, but no. They wouldn't they were still wouldn't let us what in. What a bunch of dicks. Look, we're at the end of the first hour, June eleventh, twenty twenty one dish Wap Pedro show special guest, Richard X. Heyman. Hold tight for hour two. June 11, 2021. It's the second hour of the Watford Pedro Show.
Pedro Show. Start off the second hour, Richard X. Heyman with the drone song. Ben Salter from Tasmania after that for a Fitcher. Lucas Abella nearby Sydney. Y is for yeast infection. Lisa Cameron and Sandy Ewan with Tigasaur. Lisa Cameron's out here doing drums with them. 
Galaxy people, Josh Tree. Deep in the Woods 66 featuring Karen Hammond out of Dublin, Ireland with Lexicon. And finally, Richard X. Heyman, Sink or Swim. So I guess that's the situation. You guys, yeah, living in the same tell, tell room. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, you, you got the love-hate thing going with Right, right. Familiarity breeds contempt that somebody wants yeah. in life. So we broke up at the end of the decade, basically, and uh, didn't see each other until 2000, the year 2000, when my wife decided as a uh, surprise birthday that she was going to get the Doughboys back together. So she called them all up, didn't tell me what was happening, hired uh, a rock club in, in Manhattan, had them show up. They were ready to go, and I w was taken over there thinking we were just going out, and they were up on stage waiting for me, and they had the drums and everything, and I got up, we did a set. With no practice, was, of course, it was a surprise. No practice, it was wow. just like being thrown in a deep pool, but <laughs> it was the old bike, you know, riding the old bike. So What's it called? They call it muscle memory. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, we got up, we rocked out as best we could, and we had such fun that we stayed together for another 19 years. Yeah. Wow. And, and we put out, uh, I don't know, four or five, I don't know how many albums, but we put a bunch of albums out over the last de two decades and got a lot of attention from Little Steven's uh, Underground Garage. Okay, yeah, Little Steven. Uh, we, we had a good time, and then that, that came to an end. <laughs> well, what were you doing in between that that surprise gig and then, you know, the end of the decade? Yeah, I had my solo career going. I... Uh, Try, you know, like everybody else, I was making demos, trying to get a deal, wasn't happening. And then finally we decided, let's just put our own thing out. And this was like in the 80s. Put it out, and we were playing CBGBs one night, and this guy comes up to me and says, I'm uh, a writer for Rolling Stone, and I'm going to review your record in Rolling Stone. I said, ah. So that kind of kicked everything up a notch. And from that, I got a deal with uh, Cypress A&M, they put out my first solo album. And then uh, from that, this guy, Seymour Stein, who had Sire Records. Sire heard, Records. Yeah, he heard uh, one of the songs being played on the radio in New York City, and he called me up at home, offered me a deal on Sire. So I, I made an album for Sire. And then uh, I just started my own label after that. Yeah, and I've been just putting CDs out. Now, what was it like running your own band compared to being in the Doughboys? Well, like I said, I knew if I broke up with myself, then things weren't right. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, that's that, the main difference. Are you talking about the recording? Fun. Well, what about the recording process? Was it was it something like Prince or Stevie Wonder or Dave Grohl? Yeah, yeah. I had been experimenting with that. I was just thinking about this the other day because I remember when I was young, I – I somehow got a hold of a woolen sack tape recorder that they used to have in the schools. And I started to tape myself. And then one day somebody brought over this TIAC, it was called a Sound on Sound. And I couldn't believe that you could actually record yourself over yourself and sing harmony or put a second instrument. And that was what opened the floodgates for me. I was like, ah, I know how to play the guitar and the bass and the drums and the you know, and saying, so I'm going to try overdubbing myself. And I start doing that. And as the technology 
you know, advanced. You got the four tracks and then eight. But uh, right, we got to give credit. To, I start uh, with the drums. That's that's the main thing. Yeah, that's the way those guys did too. They always start with the drums. But we got to give right. Les Paul and Mary Ford credit. They're the people who came up with that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I want to play handprints. Oh, okay.
Peter show that chunk of music Richard X Heyman with handprints Eric Slick broke down broken down Volvo Josh M Robbins orders my musical adventure Manuel Armida Heinbach with Creason and finally the greater good Richard X Heyman he's got some insights people he when he started the one man band the man alone music making thing he didn't start with drums he he there's a journey to that explain Richard yeah, well, your inclination is to start with, like, a piano or a guitar because it's a song. So I didn't even think starting with the drums. So I put the guitar part down first, 
And then I'd try to play drums to that and realize the guitar is not in time. <laughs> and I start to doubt whether I had good time or not on drums because I couldn't keep up with it. And then one day it just hit me. Why don't I try starting with the drums? And that's when, when it made sense. And then I built up from that the layer cake thing where you, you, know, you put your rhythm instrument on. The one thing I do different from most people is once I got drums and a rhythm guitar, I go right to the vocals. I just like wait to to last. Yeah. I like to get those over with. And it also kind of gives you a sense of what other stuff to put on the track. Yeah. And how it should be. It should, uh, how how it should work with the vocal. Yeah. Because, you know, in the old days, everybody's playing live. So you're, you're hearing everything and you're playing off the vocal. But when you're doing it like this, a lot of people don't know what the vocal's going to really sound like until the end. And I, I thought, that, that sounds backwards to me. I'm going to put the vocal on right, right. away. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. They, they they don't know the dynamic. Come down for the verse, come up for the chorus. Right, right, right. So that, that was definitely uh, a revelation to me is get the vocals in there and then play around it or, you know, arrange parts to fit in with that. Now, as far as the like the technical, like the board, the knobs, did you have help, or were you man alone there too? In the beginning, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I uh, started trying to find somebody that had uh, some multi-track stuff because I couldn't really afford the good studios. So back in the '80s, I found a guy that had a four-track in his living room. And that's where I did my first album, which I ended up calling Living Room. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was recorded in the living room. Appropriate. And then, uh, you know, that built up. Then I got those major label deals. So those were done out in California in good studios. And Ocean Way. And wow, LA. Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, and Sunset Sound. So I built up to that. But then... You know, the computer thing started. Right. So now I'm I'm on. Uh, you know, I've, there was an interim where I was using ADAPS. Remember ADAPS? Oh they yeah, were, yeah. They were like a digital recorder, but you used VHS as tape. the medium. Right. It was crazy. Yeah. But that didn't last long, and then the computers really took over. So now I record everything in Logic Pro. You know what and, did last? That that ADAT standard. That's all. They use it for like. A, a, channel a digital standard but yeah all that stuff all those tapes and yeah yeah it was was crazy and then when you wanted to have more tracks you had to get a second machine and a third machine (laughs) it was like a rube goldberg thing it was just (laughs) crazy stupid but to to answer your question my wife is doing all the real technical stuff I'm, i'm a luddite i don't really know this stuff she engineers she's She's got the whip out. How'd she learn? She just is smarter than me. You know, she knows how to do that stuff. So, Yeah, but she, she wasn't born with it. She must have learned it somehow. Well, we got, uh, you know, we got the uh, Logic Pro, and she went on uh, online, started to listen to a few. Oh, taught herself. Okay, okay, I understand. Taught herself and uh, got really good at it, and she engineers all this stuff now. Well, that's a definite bonus, <laughs> and probably well, she probably serves as an editor too. Like, oh, I mean, she yeah, yeah she's got the whip out. Like I said, I mean, <laughs> I would sound like the Shags. What's that Stone song? When the whip comes down. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, her her whole her whole modus operandi, as they say, is everything's got to be in time and in tune, and so she she just you know makes me do it take after take until I get it right. Right. The beatings will continue till morale <laughs> improves. That's how we do it. <laughs> okay. We're at the end of the second hour, June 11, 2021, Dishwatch Speedo Show. Special guest Richard X. Heyman. Hold tight for hour three. June 11, 2021. It's the third hour of the Watch from Pedro Show.
been on your mind Tell me where you're going What you're leaving behind I've seen days and I couldn't find a way And I've seen trouble I thought would go Something about you turns me around Something about you turns me around Say if there's something holding you down
guess you had to be there Show start off the third hour with choices we make. Richard X. Heyman, Trapper Shoop after that was something about you. Peter and his experimental sonic machines from Tim Whole House. Plaster Men with Just a Minute. That's New York, but Ithaca. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who went there? Uh, or taught there? Billions upon billions. Uh, Carl Sagan, right? Cornell. That's oh, yeah. Fucking it. Alzheimer fucks me up. The End by Lewis Cole, and then finally Richard X. Heyman. Guess you had to be there. So tell me about this record. The one we just guess you had to be there? Or the new album? Yeah, the new, that's what I meant, there's a new one. Okay. Remember, I get these songs, and I don't exactly know where they are in the timeline. That's it. So, uh, yeah, Guess You Had to Be There is from my previous album, Pop Circles. That was from uh, 
couple of years ago, but the new one is called Copious Notes. And, uh, <laughs> Great title. It's, 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 that's probably how it started, right? Uh, a little notebook of lyrics or something? Yeah, you know, it just uh, the name just came to me. It's like a phrase you always hear, you know, you're writing copious notes in the class. And, and then I thought, notes? That's like music. Could be music. Oh, notes. yeah, I understand. Yeah, right, right. Well, t tell us about the process you go about composing. Well, this album, I guess, is the, uh, for me anyway, my pandemic album, because it was all done in 2020, basically, into 2021. So here in New York, we were, you know, not on full lockdown, but pretty isolated. And after I had finished the last record, I was kind of in a funk. I didn't feel like doing any music for a long time. And then the whole COVID thing started. And I really didn't really do any music. And then I uh, started noodling around on the piano, and that turned into a few things. And every now and then, my wife, when she likes something she hears, she, she puts her head into the door of the bedroom where I am and, and says, what was that? And those are the ones that ended up on the record <laughs> the litmus test okay. yeah you know the thing that uh, we do that I really re recommend to other aspiring recording artists not that I have any great success or anything but we do what we call the listenability test because making music and listening to it are two different things and <laughs> people get so wrapped up in the making of it that they forget about is this thing really listenable? <laughs> I mean, sometimes I've I've been with musician friends. They can't just listen. They got to start playing along. And I say, you know, music eventually is about listening to it. And so everything we do, we listen to really carefully before we commit to putting it out into the world. And we listen to it at the demo stage. And, Make sure we're in the right key for the vocal and all that kind of stuff is really important. What else, would you being a drummer, man, originally? What mm -hmm. about tune in the fucking drums, man? When I did that for my first album, I couldn't believe how things tightened up. Mm. Yeah, you find the key of the song, tune the drums to the fucking key of the tune. Yeah, that's true. Almost Especially, right. you know, if it's like a, a riff that you do it on the drums that that's going to coordinate with you know, the whole guitar part. I don't know if you've ever used MIDI drums, but you can dial it, and it's like, whoa, yeah, what yeah. the fuck? I, I know. That's the one, you know, I have nothing against people using samples. The only, my only qualm is when they don't own up to it. Just, you know, say, okay, drum, these are sure. loops or program drums, because a lot of people try to get away with... But that's jive. Yeah. You know, making people think they're playing drums or something, and as a drummer, that bothered me a little bit because... Yeah, of course. I'm out there getting blisters on my fingers, as they say. Because <laughs> well, I got to start out in a real studio playing real drums. And I do that over the course of like a weekend. I'll do a whole, you know, 20 to 30 tracks of drums. Then I take those home to the uh, computer. That's how we start. Okay. I want to play Long Way Down.
Watt for Pedro Show. Last music for this edition. Started that chunk off with Richard X. Heyman doing Long Way Down, which is not on the new record, people. It's back. But, but he's gave, he, but he played some of the new records. Yeah, the music he gave me is a big retrospect of his whole trip. Yeah, right there is the word. Yeah, okay. Dan Jones and the Squids out of Kansas City after that, going to keep on. Uh, Kiwi Jr., Maritime Bandit, moved to Toronto. Come back, baby. John Duncan and Stefano Palia. Obsolete and comeback. Head boggle with B2F plus C2. And then Julie Becker is awesome from Are You a Cop? That's their brand new album. And finally, Incognito, Richard X. Heyman. So how long do you think you... So it was during this whole... Uh, you said it was a COVID-19 album. So what, what, did it take like a year to record? Well, by the time I got into it, it was last summer when I started uh, writing again and putting together some ideas. So where are we now? So, yeah, you know, it was from last summer of 2020 when we really got into it. And then we worked, but we can only work in little dribs and drabs because my wife works full time and she, she's the only one that knows how to even turn this thing on. So uh, I have to wait, you know, till she's done with work and we have dinner. And so we, we would work a little at night each weeknight and a little bit more on the weekends. So it's a kind of dribs and drabs sure, kind sure. Of way to do it. But uh, I don't know how much time, if you put it all together, as you would in a regular. Well, like like you were saying, you know, in a weekend you get, what, how, how many tracks were you? You were talking 30 tracks of drums in a weekend? Yeah, well, that would be the first step, right. is getting drums done. So we do that at a place called Eastside Sound, which is a real nice state-of-the-art studio which is literally in walking distance of where we live. So that, that worked out well. And then we, uh, you know, pick and choose which songs we're going to do. We, you know, we try a lot of trial and error, do a few that don't work out. Some, yeah. Yeah. Know. I was going to ask you if some shit don't work out, do you go back into the East side and record some new drums with the new information? Uh, no, the drums usually are okay. It's the song itself. It's, ah, okay, okay. You know, sometimes, you know, you have the song, you think it's your masterpiece, and then you listen to it, and you say, this is a piece of shit. You know, this is, <laughs> you, you can't win them all. So and, you and got to be, you got to man up sometimes and say, no, this this sucks. This yeah, what, what a fisherman would tell you, you got to cut bait, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We do that a lot, and we both got to like it. So there's a lot of times where I, I'm in love with something, and my wife said, no, I don't like it, and so it's out. Out comes the hook. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to keep everybody happy. So, But I trust her, her ears. She's got good ears. Yeah, good, but what, what about when it comes when you get the tunes and it comes to the sequencing? Is she involved with that too? The sequencing of the album, you mean, the yeah. order? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, we both – Kind of powwow. And because remember like, in the days of vinyl, that was so important, man. The needle was going to go on the outside first. That's not going to go by the label. Hey, you know, I'm an album guy, so we yeah, we definitely spend some time thinking about the order of the songs, the the, the flow and all that stuff. Right, so we, right. And, and, and now, since you broke that log jam, you got the album done and stuff like that, you think you got your uh, creative thing going again, re, uh, jump-started? Uh, it's hard to tell. It's too early because I think I used everything up <laughs> on this one. I got to start again. Sure, I, I sure. got I got a lot of. Well, I've been uh, playing a lot of piano lately, so I, I demo kind of like instrumental piano pieces, and they can turn into songs if you put your mind to it. So, 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Probably more songs been written on piano than any other instrument. Where can people find you on the internet, Richard? Well, you got your website, richardxhammond.com. Let me tell people, R-I-C-H-A-R-D-X-H-E-Y-M-A-N.com. Right, like us in Hey Man. Hey, and man. when the record uh, is out for the public, it'll be in all the usual places people can buy do you remember? Do you remember when that David Bowie song, Suffragette City, came out? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's got your name in the chorus. Not even the chorus. It's in the verses. That's right. Hey, man. And you know what I read about that song? That's the first one he pitched to Mott the Hoople, and they said no, so he gave them all the young dudes. Really? Wow. I wouldn't shit you. That's a great song, Suffragette City. They both are. Yeah, I, I like, I like Suffragette City better. It's more rock and roll. And that was a great bass man, too, that guy with the big fucking sideburns. Uh, Whatever his fucking name. <laughs> his name. I, I learned a lot of stuff off him. Uh, he ended up in Uriah Heap. It's been a big honor. When you make the next Man Alone album, will you come back on the show? We can listen to it and talk about it, Richard. Okay, certainly. I'll be there. Okay. Thanks so much. I People, appreciate your uh, positive uh, energy, and uh, it's always well, great to talk to you. Well, like the last year, man, music's a lifeline, right? <laughs> Love it. People, June 11, 2021 Dishwap Peter Show. Keep your. Pattern around.